Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oreo Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you on the very first day of the month of March, Brendan. Just this make all the months 30 days, Paul. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if that's what you were going to talk about. Well, but... actually, there is a, you know, we go by the Gregorian calendar, but if we went by a lunar... That's just the correct Fancy. term for it. If we went by the lunar calendar, we could go with, I believe it's, what, 28 days for each month, 13 months, and we'd have, like, an even year, and we wouldn't need the the leap day. Yeah. Also, friend, of the, that. friend of the pod, Ryan Engelmeyer, is, was born on a leap day. Yeah. So His he's, birthday, what, like five? He didn't have a birthday this year. <laughs> Poor guy. That stinks. So a birthday once every four years, and here's the thing, the leap year isn't exactly once every four years, too. Right. It's once every four years. And like a quarter. Except, yeah, except once every hundred years, except once every 400 years. So, like, 2,000 was a leap year. Why do we have to do this? Because Why can't the months just be 30 days? Because they didn't, because it, it wouldn't add up to when the Earth goes around the sun. But so? imagine imagine being five years old, because, and he was also a twin, so extra strange. Yeah. But, I mean, those those birthday parties every four years have to be awesome. Have to be lit, yeah. yeah. I mean, think about it. You you get very few of them. You've got to get four years' worth of presents. Right. That's what I would demand. I think that's the rule. Yeah. And then would you celebrate, on, on the non-leap day years, mm -hmm. would you celebrate the day before or the day after? We'll have to get them on the podcast to discuss. We'll have to find out. Because it's it doesn't exist. It's crazy. Hate it. Uh, all right. Well, on this podcast, we're going to be talking a lot about Jorge Mateo and what his long-term future in Baltimore could look like. But Brendan, first and foremost, new Orioles MLB Pipeline top 30 prospect list was revealed. Couple changes, some we saw coming. Heston Kerstad, we knew he was going to jump into the top 10 because of where he was on MLB Pipeline's top 100 prospect list, but he jumps all the way up to number six. Uh, then we've got Ryan Watson, who makes his top 30 debut. He comes in at number 24, the Orioles minor league pitcher of the year last year. And how about recent international signee Luis Almeida jumping in at number 26? Yeah, a few observations from me on the Orioles top 30. You've got Connor Norby at number 9, Kobe Mayo at number 10. I think both those guys could be top 100 prospects pretty soon once we see some more graduations. I think they are right on the verge of being in that top 100. Shout out on the verge podcast. Shout out on the verge. Uh, I thought it was interesting that we saw Cade Povich get some separation from some other pitchers that he has tended to be grouped with when we're talking about not the top five or so pitching prospects in this Orioles system, but Cade Povich jumps up to number 13, gets some separation from Seth Johnson, who comes in at number 16, and Chase McDermott at number 19. Drew Rahm, of course, right there as well at number 20. And then you mentioned Ryan Watson. Should we be talking more about Ryan Watson? I mean, he comes in at number 24, which isn't huge on the Orioles' top 30. But as you mentioned, he was the Orioles minor league pitcher of the year last year. He is getting closer to big league ready. He has the capability to both be a starter and come out of the bullpen. Not saying he has front end of the rotation potential, but I think Ryan Watson could be a potential big league piece down the line. Yeah, big dude. He's like 6'3", 6'4", I'm yeah. pretty sure. He, he towered over us when we talked to him at Camden Yards last year when he came with Jordan Westberg, who was the Orioles minor league player of the year. Had a great season. I think that he's kind of in that grouping, though, with Drew Rahm of guys that could start games in the big leagues, but do they have the potential to unseat one of the guys that is ahead of them right now? Yeah, I'd, I'd put him in a Drew Rahm category. Right. Which we, it's a good, we've good just place been talking to be. about Drew Rahm more than Ryan Watson, and I think they're kind of in a similar spot yeah. where maybe they could be spot starters here and there. Maybe they end up as a long reliever down the line, but they both have big league potential. That's we've, exciting. Again, we've been, and I think on a future podcast, we'll talk about some of the pitching prospects that we've spent a lot of time hyping up and discussing over the years that, 
didn't turn out to be everyday big leaguers. I think of Mike Bauman, I think of Zach Lowther, I think of Alexander Wells as three guys that we thought had the potential to start big league games on a regular basis and didn't turn into much. So we have we speak with a lot of caution when we talk about pitching prospects in the 15 to 30 range. Yeah, could throw Kevin Smith into that category as well. He was not in the Orioles' top three, and he wasn't at the end of last year either. No, but the Orioles acquired him in a trade. I believe it was the Miguel Castro to the Mets trade. It was one for one. Kevin Smith, it was a one for one deal. Looked like an exciting pitching prospect. Never really panned out. It's kind of sad because he came in, I believe, as the number 12 prospect in the Orioles system. He was pretty highly ranked. Yeah. Yeah. So there are cautionary tales when it comes to all these guys. And the same goes for McDermott, for Povich, for Johnson. That's why the Orioles try to stockpile these guys in trades. Because... One out of every three or four turns into something. And it's funny. I remember the conversation that we were having a few years ago where it was like, okay, even if one of Zach Lowther, Alexander Wells, Mike Bauman, Kevin Smith turns into a big league starter, you would take that as a success. None of them pan out. I mean, you still have Dean Kramer, who was kind of in that group, but a little bit above. He turned into a big league starter. Keegan Aiken was kind of in that group, probably a little bit above as well. He turns into a big league long reliever. Yeah. So those guys are at least success stories there. But among that group of four, nobody has shown a lot at the big league level yet. I mean, Bauman has, at least has more of a chance. He flashed a little bit last year, Yeah. but not what we thought he could be. But the Orioles have been buoyed by guys that had lower expectations, like Tyler Wells, who came in as a Rule 5 draft pick, like Austin Voth, who came in as a waiver claim, they've gotten contributions from those guys, so it mitigates the fact that they haven't gotten much from the higher-ranked prospect, pitching prospects. But, you know, is it going to last forever? And uh, that Does also, anything last forever? Nothing truly lasts forever. Mm. Jorge Mateo. <laughs> Smooth transition. Thank you. As smooth as his glove at shortstop. Oh. Uh, Well, we talk about things lasting forever, and we look at Jorge Mateo's great season in 2022, and we can talk about how much that is repeatable because we're now talking about a 28-year-old who is holding down shortstop in an organization that is absolutely loaded with shortstop prospects. Yeah. And... Can he hold down that position long enough to keep some of these prospects at bay? We'll talk about him, how he fits into the Orioles' plans this year, how he fits into the Orioles' plans in 2024, 2025, and beyond, and whether it's best to rip off the Band-Aid and move on from Jorge Mateo now or keep him entrenched at shortstop until somebody takes his seat. Yeah, and I wanted to do, we mentioned last week that maybe we would just do a full podcast on Jorge Mateo because it seems like anytime we talk about the left side of the infield and a lot of these prospects, we say, well, Jorge Mateo might not be around. Maybe they'll trade Jorge Mateo. Maybe Jorge Mateo continues to struggle offensively, gets benched, whatever it may be. There are just so many question marks surrounding Mateo because of what he has shown over the last season and a half in Baltimore that it's hard to say whether he is going to stave off the Jordan Westbergs and Joey Ortiz's of the world. Can't imagine that he would stave off Jackson Holiday for very long in two years or three years, however long Holiday takes to get to the big leagues. There are just so many questions surrounding Mateo, so many different paths that the Orioles could go here because he gives you so many different things. Yeah, and he, to me, kind of represents the fine line in Major League Baseball of an everyday player and a journeyman, a fringe role player. Let's start with the good of Jorge Mateo. He was eighth in baseball in defensive war. He was second in triples, second in stolen bases, third in defensive assists, second in range factor at shortstop, first in assists at shortstop, which tells you just numerically the two big things that you would point to about Jorge Mateo as to why he gives you a lot of value and why he was a three and a half war player last year. That's because he is elite defensively at shortstop. He won the Fielding Bible Award. You could make a solid case that he should have been 
at the very least a gold glove finalist at shortstop. And he has elite speed. He led the American League in stolen bases last year, was second in all of baseball with the larger bases this year. If Jorge Mateo plays 150 games again, he could probably steal 40 bases this year, and I don't think that would be unrealistic. However, there is the flip side of Jorge Mateo as well. When you look at the offensive numbers, among returning starters for the Orioles, so that is discounting Rugnet Odor, Mateo has the lowest returning batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, and OPS. So if Jorge Mateo is your everyday shortstop, he is an elite defender with great speed who is consistently your nine-hole hitter. And the 221 batting average, not good, like you said. 13 homers, fine for a shortstop, and especially one who's glove first. I think that's an okay number. The power was there, but... How about 147 strikeouts to just 27 walks? The plate discipline was not great, and he was second on the team in in strikeouts behind Ryan Mountcastle, who is a first baseman who hits a lot of homers. That's okay for Ryan Mountcastle to strike out. Not as good for a shortstop to strike out who's only hitting 13 homers. It all added up to a good year war-wise. 3.4 war, fourth on the team last year. But you have to parse the offense from the defense. And when you look at StatCast, his numbers were even worse. 16th percentile in average or lower in the following categories, Brendan. Average exit velo, hard hit percentage, expected batting average, expected slugging percentage, strikeout percentage, walk percentage, whiff percentage, and chase rate. Not good. Those are all bad numbers. Yeah. 16th percentile or lower. So that 221 batting average, those 13 homers, might have told an even rosier picture than the one that he presented in terms of good contact, hard contact, and consistent contact. Yeah, the 646 OPS is just just not a good offensive baseball player. I mean, the league average OPS was down last season. It was down to a 706. But in previous years, the league average OPS had been a 728 and a 740 OPS before that. So he is well below the league average in terms of OPS. And if you want to say, well, he's an elite defensive player and he doesn't have to be great offensively, he can just be average or even slightly below average, I would point to Ramona Rios, who is right next to him on the left side of the infield. Ramona Rios won a gold glove at third base, had the best defensive metrics at third base in all of baseball, but he still hit 250 with a 720 OPS. But here's the thing. If we're going by war, Ramona Rios had less war last year than Jorge Mateo. Jorge Mateo was a more valuable player than Ramona Rios last season, according to baseball reference. So... That shows you the dichotomy there because if you're adding it up and you're getting a complete picture, Jorge Mateo was right below him. Okay. So well, they, they, they were right about the same. So what, yeah. what were their total wars? Mateo, Mateo was at a 3.4. Rios was at a 3.6. So so right about the same. So right about the same level right. of player. Right. So that goes to show because Urias, yes, he was playing gold glove defense at third base. Shortstop is a more demanding position than third base. Right. So he was just about the same level of player if we're going by war. But the question is, do the Orioles have the ability to have a one-way player at a critical position when they are trying to sneak in a wild-card game and a wild-card series by season's end? Do they have the ability to carry somebody like Jorge Mateo the entire season? And do they have the team around Jorge Mateo to make sure that they generate enough offense when they have a shortstop who is that much of a black hole on offense. Yeah, and that brings up a few questions along with that, which is, are teams around the league valuing Jorge Mateo more than maybe we are on this couch right now? Would they see him as an everyday shortstop on a team that's trying to make a playoff push? And, of course, when you are looking at the AAA level right now, you have Jordan Westbrook, you have Joey Ortiz, and we mentioned, of course, below him as well, you have Jackson Holiday. Are there better options within the organization than Jorge Mateo right now? Jordan Westbrook and Joey Ortiz, we haven't seen what they could do at the big league level yet. 
But we talked a lot about Ramona Rios. Would it make more sense for the Orioles to just have Ramona Rios as your everyday third baseman with Gunnar Henderson as your everyday shortstop instead of Jorge Mateo? So there are a lot of options internally as well where it seems kind of crazy to talk about as we are discussing the guy who had the fourth highest war on the team last year. But because he has such a glaring flaw offensively, you have to question what his role is going forward. So in the short term, you do have to ask the question of, of whether now is the time to rip off that Band-Aid, whether it, it be trade or however you want to make that change. Is Jordan Westberg, is Joey Ortiz, is the com- combination of the prospects that you have good enough to fill in right now at the big league level? And I think it starts with Jordan Westberg. Is Jordan Westberg ready? Last podcast, we talked about whether he would make the opening day roster, when he would make his debut. We both said, probably not going to make this opening day roster unless a trade happens, unless somebody goes down with injury. But he did enough last year to earn a theoretical opening day roster spot. 91 games at the AAA level last year with an 869 OPS. I look at other teams that have ripped off the Band-Aid on a prospect that early and given them everyday starts right away at a premium position like shortstop. And the example I'll use is the 2022 Phillies who had Bryson Stott as one of the top prospects in all of baseball, was a top 100, I believe top 50 prospect. They ripped off the Band-Aid and they made him their everyday shortstop on opening day. He hit 123 through the first two months of the season. So we're talking about a sample size of April and May, and he was hitting 123 while playing at a premium position at shortstop, sometimes second base. And at that point, the Phillies were eight games below 500. By October, he was making an impact on the Phillies, and he was getting big hits in the Phillies' Miracle World Series run. But he really struggled out of the gate. He was 23-24, about the same age that Westberg is, about the same level of prospect. And he was hurting the Phillies for the first couple months of the season. It wasn't until August that he was over the Mendoza line. If you do the same thing with Jordan Westberg, you could run the risk of having a potential black hole offensively at a premium infield position. If you give him everyday starts at shortstop, at second base, at third base, and he hits 123 through the first two months of the season, that could sink your team offensively. So that's the risk that the Orioles run if they, whether it be Westberg, Ortiz, Norby, if they give somebody who is a rookie, every day starts out of the gate. Now, it prepared Stott so that by the time the end of the season came, he was good enough, he felt ready to actually contribute to a good baseball team. But it takes a while. And do the Orioles have enough time for a rookie like Jordan Westberg or Joey Ortiz or Connor Norby to take his lumps early in the season when they need to be winning as many games as possible to even be in the wild card discussion come late September? I think that depends on how you would define taking their lumps early on because we're talking about Jordan Westberg potentially being a Jorge Mateo replacement. And I think we are both in agreement that Westberg would not give you the same value defensively that Jorge Mateo does right now. It would be pretty much impossible for somebody to do that at this point, to instantly come up and become a top five defensive shortstop in the game. I mean, maybe Joey Ortiz has that kind of potential, but he certainly doesn't have the speed. But when you're talking about Jordan Westberg potentially taking his lumps at the plate, Jorge Mateo is kind of taking his lumps at the plate all of last year. I mean, he was pretty consistently the worst hitter in this Orioles lineup outside of Rooknet Odor. It was his first full season getting everyday reps. It was, we we saw growth, we saw progression from Jorge Mateo, but it still wasn't where it needed to be offensively. And I don't know if Jordan Westberg's struggles at the big league level, whatever they may be, would even be that much worse than what we are already getting from Jorge Mateo at the plate. And of course, he's giving you a ton of value other places, but offensively, it might be kind of a wash. We've seen rookie shortstops, though, especially in the Orioles recently. I look at Richie Martin, 
when he came over as a Rule 5 draft pick, he had a worse season offensively in his rookie season, 2019, than Jorge Mateo did last year. I mean, it is possible to hit worse than... He could have a 550 OPS, Westberg could, or any rookie could coming up. I mean, Jorge Mateo, yes, he struggled, and those numbers are not great, but it is possible to be worse. I mean... And sure. especially if he's not going to give you nearly close to what the glove is for Mateo. And like you said, I, I don't think that's possible that really anybody could. Maybe, you know, Jordan or Joey Ortiz maybe could give you, you know, one war defense, two war defensively with the glove alone. But that's still a step down from what Jorge Mateo gave you. And you're not having the speed there. So it can get worse than Jorge Mateo. That's oh, my yeah. point. Absolutely. And. Again, Jordan Westberg is not Abby Butchman. He is not Gunnar Henderson. This is not a slam dunk number one prospect in all of baseball. It's still a top 100 prospect. Jordan Westberg comes in in the new MLB Pipeline top 100 at number 74. You mentioned the Bryson Stott example. I think he was in the 80s a few years ago. So a similar type of prospect there. Jordan Westberg is not by any means a slam dunk. And to say that he will just come in and easily replace Jorge Mateo, who's a three-and-a-half war player, I think that's pretty unrealistic at this point, even given the offensive shortcomings that Mateo has. There's three different ways that you can go with Mateo, really. it's He stays and he starts, he stays and he gets moved to the bench, or you trade him, or you move him for somebody. If he stays and starts... Again, he, he has a lot of team control. He's entering his age 28 season. He's not going to be too expensive. Maybe he continues to progress as he gets more everyday reps. But then there's the downside as well, where if he's starting, maybe he's taking playing time away from Ramon Arias or Jordan Westberg or Joey Ortiz, and maybe the offensive struggles continue. It's two sides of the coin, really, any way you look at it. Yeah, and if you start him every day, you're hoping that he gets a little bit better obviously, on offense, you have some longer-term concerns, but I think in the short term, it is your best option right now to start him. Unless a trade materializes over the next coming weeks, you know, he gives you so much value defensively. And when you're talking about some of these rookies that could come up and try to take his spot, you may not be asking, if everybody stays healthy, you may not be asking Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz and Connor Norby to play every day. You can field a team and an infield with Adam Frazier at second base, Gunnar Henderson at shortstop, and Ramon Arias at third base with Taron Vavra as your backup second baseman slash outfielder slash first baseman and Jordan Westberg being your fifth infielder. So you may not be asking Westbrook to play every single day. You may not be asking him to carry your lineup by any stretch. You may just be asking him to get his feet wet in the big leagues and just saying, Ramon Arias, you played great gold glove caliber third base last year. Gunnar Henderson, we believe that you can be an everyday shortstop. We're going to give you that opportunity this year. And Adam Frazier is certainly a proven second baseman with Taron Vavra as a nice backup option. So... Somebody like Jordan Westberg or Joey Ortiz having a rough rookie season might not impact the team that much because they may not be asked to play every day. If an injury happens and one of these guys goes down, though, that changes the conversation. And it's very possible that somebody goes down for an extended amount of time, and because you don't have Jorge Mateo, you're asking Westberg, Ortiz, Norby to fill in and to be good enough to not sink your lineup every day. Yeah, and I think there's a few questions that come with that, too. First one being, if Jordan Westberg is up at the big league level, does Jorge Mateo still get 150 games? Is he still your everyday starter? Or does he become more of a rotational piece where you're swapping out between three shortstops of Jorge Mateo, Jordan Westberg, and Gunnar Henderson? Is Jorge Mateo still your everyday guy? I don't know. And when you are looking at the offensive numbers, Paul, I'll pose this question to you. If Jorge Mateo has a sub-650 OPS again, like we saw last year, it was at 646, that's a below-average hitter. If Jorge Mateo is the same player as we saw last year, similar defensive production, similar offensive, 
And Jordan Westberg, we get two months into the season, and Jordan Westberg is maintaining a consistent 850 OPS at AAA Norfolk like we saw a season ago. At what point do you go, or do you at all go, there needs to be a change here? I wouldn't, because that is still a positive war player. Yeah. I mean, he's giving you, Mateo's giving you about half a, you but know, is it, a win. But is it maximizing the position? Is it maximizing what you could be getting out of a lineup? It probably isn't, but Jordan Westberg doesn't make that difference. You know, Jordan Westberg doesn't maximize it. Sure. So maybe maybe the combination of Gunnar Henderson at short and Arias at third and Frazier at second maximizes it. I think you have to to wait and see. It's it's more than just Mateo, right? You have to see what the team looks like around him. You have yeah. to look at the best lineup combinations. We won't know, and, and Brandon Hyde doesn't know now, what the best defensive alignment is for this team right now with the shift, with the bigger bases, with the pickoff rules. He doesn't know. It's impossible to know right now. And especially, we only have a month sample size of Gunnar Henderson even at the big leagues. I mean, we think he can play everyday shortstop. We think he can play everyday third base. We think he's not going to strike out too much. But we have to get a bigger sample size for all these guys. We haven't seen Adam Frazier really in an Orioles uniform at all. So all of these things play into the Jorge Mateo decision. And I think the Orioles have to wait and see what their best combination is. So I don't think in a vacuum I would make that switch of saying... Jorge Mateo, you're out. Jordan Westberg, come on, come on up. I think you have to look at the team around them and say, what is our best configuration of infielders that helps us win on a nightly basis? Yeah, and if I had to guess what could be happening by the middle of the season, if Jorge Mateo continues to struggle a little bit at the plate with the discipline, not walking much, not really getting on base, I think we could kind of just see a mix and match. I don't know if anybody is really going to be an everyday starter at shortstop. I am pretty confident that Gunnar Henderson will be an everyday starter somewhere on the left side of the infield, whether that's shortstop or third base. But I think we could see just kind of a jumble of guys by halfway through the season with Taron Vavra, Adam Frazier, Ramon Arias, Jorge Mateo, Jordan Westberg, all getting, I don't know, 80 games, 90 games, somewhere around there. They're just kind of jumbled everywhere throughout the infield I think it could be very matchup based I think it would be valuable for Brandon Hyde to just have all of those options but I don't know if Jorge Mateo is going to play 150 games again yeah I think it's going to be a tough ask to ask somebody who struggled that much offensively to be at such a premium position on a team that has higher expectations than the team did last year I mean, at this point last year, we were saying, Jorge Mateo, see what you have. Might as well give him everyday starts because we were not expecting this team to be in a wild card race for as long as they were last season. This team has different expectations and different hopes. So there's extra pressure on this team and on that position in particular. Those are the short-term questions. When you talk about the long-term questions with Jorge Mateo, the good thing is he is under contract for the next three seasons. So he's making about $2 million this year in arbitration. He's going to get arbitra arbitration-eligible money this year, next year, and the following year. He's not going to be a free agent until after the 2025 season. That's great because you have him under contract. He is 28 years old this season, going to be 29 and 30. You're, you're getting him for his prime years right now. Also could mean that he is more valuable in a trade. And then you look down the line at what the Orioles have, not just in Westburg and Ortiz, and Norby. You're talking about Jackson Holiday, who is a top 20 prospect, top 15 prospect in all of baseball, who is looking the part of the number one overall pick. When he debuts, TBD. But it very well could be 2025, which would be Mateo's final year under contract. For as good as Westberg and Ortiz and Norby have been, Holiday has the highest ceiling of all those guys and has the best potential to lock down shortstop for years to come for the Orioles. Yeah. And then you also look at some concerns with Jorge Mateo's game outside of his offense. And you could realistically see his defense and his speed both dipping a little bit. They don't have to dip a lot. But when you look at speed and how it affects guys, how age affects their speed over the long term, it's a great asset right now, but recent baseball 
history kind of shows us that a lot of speedsters may lead the league in steals one year and then be out of the league the next year. Speed alone doesn't get you anywhere. So I look at the 2019 stolen base leaders, Malik Smith, Jonathan VR, who was then an Oriole, at Alberto Mondesi, three guys that are not everyday players in the big leagues anymore. I mean, I don't know if VR has even found a home in free agency yet. Malik Smith is out of baseball. At Alberto Mondesi is now a journeyman at this point. Yeah, just got traded to the Red Sox because they had yeah. no options at shortstop. Another speedster, Billy Hamilton, who was every year felt like was at the top or near the top of the stolen base leaderboard every year, but couldn't hit enough to maintain a, an everyday role. And then you look at how quickly it drops off for guys once they hit their 29-30 range. D. Strange Gordon, 60 stolen bases in his age 29 season, 30 in his age 30 season. Dropped off by half. Cameron Mabin, 33 stolen bases in his age 30 season, 10 in his age 31 season. If Jorge Mateo's speed drops off like that, he is suddenly a much less valuable player than he is when he is stealing 35, 40, 45 bases a season. And not even just because of the stolen bases, you could look at how his speed impacts his defense as yeah, well. When, exactly. When we talk about Joey Ortiz and how elite he is defensively, none of those, none of that praise really comes because of his speed. We don't really rave about Joey Ortiz's range. We just talk about how great he is fundamentally at shortstop and what kind of plays that he can make, whether it's off-platform, whatever it may be. Joey Ortiz is just a really good defensive shortstop. Not that Jorge Mateo is not, but a lot of his value defensively still comes from his speed and his athleticism. As I mentioned before, he was second in all of baseball in range factor at shortstop. He was fifth in errors in all of baseball. It's a lot of errors. It is. And part of that is because he was able to get to some baseballs that he just flat out had no business getting to. But a lot of the great plays that we saw from Jorge Mateo were, again, just like fly balls that he shouldn't have been able to get to in shallow center field and was still able to, or balls in the gap that he was just able to cut off somehow. The speed was able to get him there. And sometimes last year it got better as the year went along, but early on in the season... Jorge Mateo was struggling a little bit with just the easier fundamental place at shortstop. And you do have to worry a little bit that as that speed falls off over the coming years, as you mentioned, not only is it going to be the stolen bases, but that range factor at shortstop probably won't be there the way that it was this year. And it's not going to happen right away. Right. He's only entering his age 28 season. This is a down-the-line thing. But a few years from now, you would definitely wonder if that's still going to be there. Yeah, and you have to reach first to be able to steal second. I mean, that's an old adage. Yes, it, it that speed helps you beat out some ground balls, but his offensive numbers may be even worse when the speed starts to dissipate because he won't be able to beat out as many ground balls. And the speed only helps you if you're able to reach first base, which he didn't do a whole lot of last year. OBP under 300 and struck out 127 times. That doesn't help you. You have to put the ball in play to be able to beat out a lot of those ground balls. You have to walk more than 27 times. So those are the areas of the game that concern me long-term. And yeah, it, it, like you said, it, it probably won't affect him this year. I think I expect him to be as fast this year, but you never know when an injury could come, a lower body injury could come and could affect that kind of speed. And when you're talking about somebody who has as much potential as Jackson Holiday, breathing down your neck, trying to steal your spot and probably hitting as well as any prospect in baseball as we expect him to over the coming seasons, it's tough for Jorge Mateo to continue to stem the tide. Yeah, and again, even outside of Jackson Holiday, you have Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz, both at AAA Norfolk. You have Kobe Mayo, who is at AA Bowie right now. Not going to play shortstop, right? but if Kobe Mayo continues to progress as a third baseman, he could be at third base, which could bump Gunnar Henderson to shortstop every day. There are just so many prospects right now that you could point to and say, hey, they might lock down a middle infield spot in a year or two. Yeah. That's a lot of guys to stave off if you're Jorge Mateo. And Mateo's in a tough spot of he performed well enough last year 
that you can't take that spot away from him. No. But how well does he have to perform this year to make sure that he maintains his spot? What what kind of numbers would you need to see to make sure that he is your starting shortstop for the entirety of the season and maybe even goes into the offseason as your starting shortstop? And how many games does Jordan Westbrook need to play at AAA Norfolk before he gets the call to the big leagues? Right. I mean, is Jordan Westbrook going to play 200 games in his minor league career at AAA Norfolk? Yeah. Like, is he going to win another minor league player of the year because Jorge Mateo is just a solid defensive shortstop? Like, there's a lot of options there. Yeah. And Mateo is, I think, going to need to improve. Yes. I mean, this is the question I posed to you before with the offensive numbers. If Mateo has another 646 OPS two months into the season and Jordan Westberg still has an 850 OPS at AAA Norfolk, I'm not saying bench Jorge Mateo. But I'm saying, okay, call Jordan Westberg up and at least give him a shot two times a week and just see what happens. But we also, I mean, that can, that's tough because sample size is difficult and it's tough for anybody to, to it would get be tough his, for Westberg to get rhythm and yes, a lot of yeah. things. And, and especially if he has to go back and forth. I mean, I, I know in this scenario, you keep him up at the big league level, but maybe you need to bump him back and forth between Norfolk and the big leagues. We've seen how it's affected players over that you know yep. they're the beginning of their major league careers when they're not playing every day. We talked about remember we talked about when Tyler Nevin was DFA'd this offseason. We said, you know, he didn't do enough, but also he was put in a difficult position because he wasn't getting everyday starts. So how was he supposed to be able to establish any kind of rhythm when he wasn't starting every day at third base or first base? Yeah, that was hard for Kyle Stowers at yeah. the end of last year too. Kyle Stowers still ends the year with a pretty solid OPS because he gets into September and the Orioles are, you know, they're letting the kids play. So Kyle Stowers gets some more ABs. But when Kyle Stowers was really sporadic, I mean, that's just really hard to get rhythm. He it was is. still at the big league level, but just wasn't playing a lot. So uh, there are a lot of scenarios here where there is just a really big log jam at the big league level, which of course begs the question, do you relieve that log jam a little bit by moving Jorge Mateo? Right. Well, Brendan, one of the top teams in the National League just lost their starting shortstop for the entire season. Yeah. Gavin Lux went down with an ACL tear yesterday. He's going to be out for the season. I feel awful for the guy. He was expected to be an everyday shortstop this year, former top prospect. Tough news for the guy, for the team. Um, injuries around baseball could lead to opportunities for the Orioles to make trades. Yes. And when you look at the Dodgers as an example, when their starting shortstop goes down for the entire season, they're already beginning exhibition games. So it's not like they can go out and sign the best free agent shortstop available. They kind of have limited options. And they're a team that's looking to win a pennant this year and go to the World Series. They need a quality big leaguer to play shortstop. And at the very least, they need some depth at that position. They have Miguel Rojas, who they traded for this year. He's 34. They have Chris Taylor, also on the wrong side of 30. I think he's like 33. Can't really play shortstop at an above-average level anymore. Yeah, he just plays everywhere. Miguel Vargas, who is a top prospect in their system and a top 50 prospect in all of baseball. He's like 23, but they're the Dodgers. Do you really want to throw a 23-year-old out there every day and have a Bryson Stott you know, situation where he sinks your lineup? Could the Dodgers be a team that comes calling for Jorge Mateo? I don't see why not. I, I think not even the Dodgers. I mean, I found some other teams around baseball, too, that could come calling for Jorge Mateo. You have the Braves, another team that is hopeful to win a pennant. They're starting 22-year-old Vaughn Grissom at shortstop this year. He got the call at the end of last season. Are they entirely confident that Vaughn Grissom is ready to go and take over that spot? The Angels, who we know are trying to keep Shohei Otani and convince him that he should stay in L.A. and they can make a playoff push. They are currently starting Luis Rengifo. I don't really know much about him. <laughs> yeah, Jorge Mateo would probably be an upgrade there as well. I think there are a lot of teams around baseball that could look at Jorge Mateo and think that he is a valuable asset. And I think there's also a pretty solid case to be made right now, Paul, that this is Mateo's peak value. If you're the Orioles and you don't believe that 
Mateo is going to get a ton better offensively, that that 646 OPS is going to improve. You could look at his trade value and say, okay, he has three more years of team control, and he is not going to be very expensive over the next few seasons here. He has shown you elite flashes defensively. He just had an elite defensive season. With the new rules, Jorge Mateo could steal 40, 50 bases if he gets consistent playing time. Maybe because of the prospects that the Orioles have, the Orioles aren't viewing him with a ton of value given the depth that they have, and maybe they see Mateo as a little bit expendable if there is a good trade that comes along, and maybe there are other teams like the Dodgers, I think are probably the best example of a team, that could look at Mateo and say, we need a solid everyday shortstop, even if he is not going to hit second for us, even if he hits seventh, eighth, ninth, he'll play elite defense and he could steal 40 bases. That's still a very valuable player. I think the Orioles would have to get back, I've said on previous podcasts, a big leaguer in order to do a deal like that. They'd probably have to package Mateo to get a big leaguer because if you trade Mateo for prospects, especially, let's say you trade him for infield prospects, what does that get you? You know, you're just increasing the log jam at that point, and it, it, yeah, may help you down the line, but... You would have to get some probably pro- high, very high upside, very low level prospects because if you just got back a bunch of AAA or AA middle infield prospects, where are you going to put them? How are you going to solve that issue as well? You're just exacerbating it. I don't think you necessarily, I, I'll revise my statement. I don't think you necessarily have to get big leaguers back because I was looking at the Dodgers as an example to continue this Dodgers conversation. Yeah. And I was saying the Dodgers have a prospect like Bobby Miller, who is a top 25 prospect in their system. If top you're, 25 prospect in baseball. Sorry, in baseball, yeah. yeah. If you are the Orioles and you could swing a deal for a top-level pitcher or top-level position or top-level pitching prospect, I should say, and Jorge Mateo is your ticket to doing that, I think you have to consider it. I think that, you know, it, it could be a big leaguer. It could be the pie in the sky is Corbin Burns. But it could be a, another quality pitcher or high-level pitching prospect that the Orioles might be enticed enough to say, we're ready to rip off the Band-Aid with Jorge Mateo because this guy is worth it. Yeah, and I mean, Bobby Miller would be an incredible get. He's a top 25 prospect in baseball, as you mentioned. He is pretty much close to big league ready. The Dodgers have a good amount of starters, a good amount of young starters that they could potentially move you would probably have to move Mateo and a prospect if you're looking at somebody like Bobby Miller or maybe Dustin May, who's coming off of an injury. There are options there. I think it's a team that would make sense to trade with. Of course, the fear with trading Jorge Mateo, though, is you know we've talked about it when we have mentioned guys that have been traded over the last few years, like Jorge Lopez. We didn't get a huge sample size of Jorge Lopez, and there was always the fear that, yeah, maybe you're trading him at maximum value, or maybe this is the start of just a great bullpen career yeah. for Jorge Lopez, and he reinvents himself and, and goes off and pitches great. Didn't have a great second half of the season for the Minnesota Twins. Not that that's you know vindication by any stretch. You wish the best for Jorge Lopez, but maybe that gave you a little bit of, okay, maybe we traded him at peak value. If Jorge Mateo improves offensively, if that OPS creeps up closer to league average, if it's around 700, 720, and the defense is still elite, the speed is still elite, that's like a four-war player. Yeah. That's a four- or five-war player. That's a very, very good that's player. That's a very, very good player. Because now you're talking about an elite defensive shortstop with great speed and average offense? That's really good. Yeah. It, if everybody stayed healthy, though and you were to make that trade, the Orioles may not miss him in theory. If everybody I, I stays... Would, I mean, I think you would miss you would a definitely, four-war player you would definitely miss him. Into. But if everybody stays healthy, you're still looking at Gunnar Henderson at shortstop, Karen Vavra slash Adam Frazier at second base, which is a position Jorge Mateo has not played a lot of, and Ramon Arias, who's still a gold glover at third base. Now, if somebody gets hurt, if Ramon Arias drops off a little bit offensively or defensively, if Adam Frazier isn't what you hoped he was in what you hoped you were going to get when you signed him, 
Yeah, you would definitely miss Jorge Mateo. But the flip side of it is the Jorge Lopez conversation. What right. if what if the offense doesn't improve? What if it gets worse? What if the pitchers are able to point out more holes in Jorge Mateo's swing and offensive approach, and he takes a dip, another dip offensively? What and if this is the year the aliens invade and none of this happens anyway? There's so many what ifs. Joey Votto, do you hear what he had to say about yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. He said that he was onto something. Yeah, after what twenty games, aliens are going to invade. They could. Then we'll all come back in September, and, the and this re- podcast would look silly. It really would. The Reds yeah. are going to make the playoffs. Um, all of these are options, and I think Michael Elias has to consider all of these things. Yeah, and I think Jorge Mateo is not by any stretch untouchable, nor should he be. I think Michael Elias loves to make moves during spring training. I think he will consider every option, and if there is a good one for Jorge Mateo, I don't think he's going to be afraid to pull the trigger because he's worried about giving up on a guy this early. And I think he feels good enough about the depth in his system that he could do a deal like this yeah. over the next month or two. I agree. So, Paul, if it, it is you as general manager, Michael Elias has now handed you the keys to the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, he has. This is well, yeah. We know. We, this, we but know. We this, can't. Yeah. We can't tell the people. Sorry, they, I'm, a, they, I'm the the real GM. They don't. The know. shadow puppet. They, yeah. they don't know. You have the keys. What are you doing with Jorge Mateo right now? I'm keeping him at shortstop. I'm keeping him as your everyday shortstop. Now, maybe I'll sit him against righties occasionally. Although he did have reverse splits last year. Uh, Against righties, I think I'll keep him on the bench for the most part because I want to keep Gunnar Henderson at shortstop, Adam Frazier at second base, Ramon Rodriguez at third, and I'm fine with that. I'll keep him as your mostly everyday shortstop. I'll keep Jordan Westbrook and Joey Ortiz in AAA. But if I'm blown away by a trade offer, if one of the GMs calls me up and and offers me a top pitcher or a top pitching prospect in exchange for Jorge Mateo and a prospect or Jorge Mateo and cash or whatever it may be, then I'm strongly considering it. I don't feel like Jorge Mateo is burning a hole in my pocket and I got to get rid of him so that we can clear the way for one of these prospects. But if the offer is there, you'd be silly to refuse it. Are you making the calls is the question. I think Michael Elias is making all kinds of calls right now. I think you test. I think you also want to see what the market is. I mean, how much do or do other teams value Jorge Mateo? I, I really don't know this, and I'm sure Michael Elias has a much better gauge of it. I think you want to see what other teams think because teams differ on guys all the time. That's why trades happen. So I think that you have to see if teams are banging down your door for Jorge Mateo and saying, this guy's going to be an everyday shortstop, an elite defensive goal glover at shortstop for years to come, or if teams are saying, eh, I don't think it's really going to last. He's another, you know, flash in the pan. Right. I think if it's me, I keep the lines open, but I'm probably not pushing for a Jorge Mateo trade. Yeah. Because if he stays right now, even if the offense doesn't drastically improve, you know the baseline of Jorge Mateo. I think it's pretty much what he gave you last year. Yeah. Just still a three and a half war very valuable player who can play elite defense with elite speed. And yeah, he struggles offensively, but you'll take that when he is playing the type of defense that he is able to play. If Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz are absolutely mashing by the time the trade deadline comes along and Jorge Mateo is um, playing around the same level of baseball that he played last year, then sure, maybe at that point you start to make some more calls because you say, Westberg and Ortiz need to be up here. Yeah. But realistically, injuries happen. Things happen. Westberg and Ortiz could struggle. Mateo could struggle more than we think. And if those guys are playing well, they'll get called up. They'll find at-bats somewhere. Things always seem to work out. But as we've mentioned on previous podcasts, just because you have depth at a position doesn't mean you should trade from that position. It just gives you more ability to do so if the right trade comes along. So I'm not pushing a Jorge Mateo trade at this point. I'm just keeping my options open. And I'm with you. Like you said, if the right trade is there, I would feel comfortable moving Mateo given the depth that you have, but I'm not pushing to make one happen. No, and I don't think that Elias is either. I think he is right or 
around in our camp. I don't really know, but I can't imagine that he feels like Jorge Mateo needs to go because he spoke as highly about Jorge Mateo last year as just about anybody. You know, he was incredibly complimentary uh, of Jorge Mateo because of where Mateo came from as just a waiver claim. And to grab hold of the shortstop spot last year, I think, speaks a lot to how hard he worked. I think he's going to have to make improvements, serious improvements this year to stem the tide of the Westbergs and Norbys and, and Ortiz's. And I think it starts with cutting down his strikeouts and increasing his walks. Now, yep. if there's any organization that has shown the ability over the last two, three years to work on that with a player and get that hammered out, it's the Orioles. He has to strike out less than 147 times, and he has to walk more than 27 times yep. for him to be a more valuable player. Because if those strikeout numbers continue, those walk numbers continue, it's very difficult to keep him in your lineup every day. So he has to get better at that. That OBP has to be higher than 300, probably has to be closer to 350. I'm not saying he needs to hit more than 13 homers. I think 13 homers is just fine. I'm perfectly fine with that. And if maybe a couple homers come at the expense of a few more walks and a few fewer strikeouts, I'd be very okay with that. Yeah. And... You know, we uh, one guy that we've talked about a lot in the past, Andrelton Simmons, somebody who has been an elite defensive shortstop. Jorge Mateo, not there exactly, but it gives you a similar kind of value defensively. Andrelton Simmons pretty consistently had an OPS below 750 or even below 700, but the on-base percentage was at least at a 325, around yeah. a 330. A 265-ish on-base percentage, like we saw from Jorge Mateo last year, not going to cut it. it there comes a point when i don't really care how elite your defense is if you're getting on base at a 265 clip that's just that's not good enough to stay in the lineup every day how many homers in a single season what's the highest home run total for Andrelton simmons in a single season 17 he had three seasons in double digits that's totally fine you don't need that no and again the highest ops in a single season of Andrelton simmons career was a 754 he came in eighth in MVP voting in 2017 with a 752 OPS. It doesn't need to be unbelievable offensive stats. It just needs to be closer to league average. Absolutely. Well, this will be a very important spring for Jorge Mateo for top prospects. We've already seen some great performances from prospects like Westberg. I mean, Taron Vavra is not technically a prospect according to MLB Pipeline, but he's a rookie. He's been phenomenal. Tearing it up. Tearing it up, if you will. As I tweeted out at Paul Mancano, at Brendy Brendan Morty, Brendy Brendy Morton, Morton. that's me, <laughs> Brendan Morty. Yeah, there it is. The Twitter handle. Thanks so much, by the way, to Amy Jennings for producing this podcast. And you can catch the podcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. And this Friday, we will have a special episode with Steve Molesky, who will be dropping his new top 20 Orioles international prospect list. He's going to discuss all of that and more on Friday's episode. So tune into that as well. For Brennan Mortensen, I'm Paul Mancano. Thanks so much, and we'll catch you next time.